Okay, we're back again. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Not sure if you were able to catch the intro uh, here this morning or not with my sermon, but I'm going to just jump down and get started into some key questions that I had uh, for us this morning. So when fear is at our doorstep and mankind is in a panic, where do we turn? What is our attitude and response? Where is God in all of this? What can we learn from such unprecedented, unprecedented events in our nation? Uh, I want us to tackle some of these questions, uh, and I want us to leave this morning with a great peace, because our nation, our friends, our family members, our church, and our individual hearts surely need the peace of God. And so one of the questions I want to open with is, what can we learn from these events of the past several weeks? There's much to learn from these events, and we could talk about a lot of different things, from governmental responses to separations of continents and land masses and the, and the wisdom in so doing and the keeping the peoples separate to keep things from transferring like this with, with diseases. But I actually don't want to really talk about those lessons as much as one clear lesson is that man's systems, man's provisions for security are clearly not stable. They're clearly not fully trustworthy. Um, humanism attaches prime importance to man rather than the divine. But what have the events of this week shown us? Man's health systems won't save you, could run out of beds. Man's financial institutions falter when you may call upon them. Stock markets crash. Man's distribution of goods cannot be fully relied upon. You may go to the store and find empty shelves. Three weeks ago, the Western world lived with great peace and confidence, trusting in man's foundations. Who would have thought that a microscopic organism could bring our incredible systems to a halt in such little time? Now, when I was a kid, I used to play with dominoes, not the actual game where you had to you match numbers and sort of build, build your structure. It was more of a game where my brother and I would go to my grandma's house to spend the night, and we would we'd clear off the table and stack the dominoes vertically and create little mazes and twists and turns. It was really pretty cool. We'd do all kinds of interesting complex shapes, and sometimes you'd have to try to see if they could get them to cross or hop, and a lot of times it would fail. But in general, you, you know the idea. You, you'd reach a point where you were happy with your structure, and then with just the, the smallest trigger of just the, of the one key starting domino, the whole thing began to topple. And, and mankind's coined a term out of this. We call it the domino effect. We, we, we may just use it as we speak to people. Oh, it's the domino effect. Well, this week we've sort of seen that sort of scenario unfold. You have a very small thing that then triggers a massive, uh, you know, massive changes and, and, and a ripple effect through, through our world as we know it. Um, now, Psalm 118.8 tells us, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. You could ask the, yourself the question, why is it better to take refuge in the Lord? Well, think about this. One can be trusted, the other cannot. One can save, the other cannot. One has eternally existed, the other has not. One is omniscient and knows all things, the other 
clearly does not. One is sovereign over all powers. The other is not. One is the creator. The other is the created. And thus, this begins to answer one of our other key questions that I uh, put forth at the beginning here is, where do we turn? We've just seen a contrast here between the instruction of taking refuge in the Lord versus taking refuge in man. But I want to dive into this a bit deeper this morning. Colonel James Agnew served as a command chaplain during Operation Desert Storm in 1991. And during his service, he recalled the following amazing morning. Prior to the beginning of the ground war, my mission included visiting all the troopers preparing to move forward. Being first on the battlefield presents numerous challenges for these men with an increased risk of contact, ambush, minefields, and chemical contamination. These soldiers were well aware of their risks and skillfully trained to deal with whatever obstacle they may encounter. But still, fear was ever present. I was making the last leg of my journey on foot. We had traveled over dangerous territory to reach this frontline unit. But I wanted to visit and pray with this chemical platoon group of men before they crossed the border into Kuwait. It was an early morning visit, and I noticed they had already gathered into a circle around the platoon leader. I thought to myself, this is great. I'll have a captive audience of the entire platoon already waiting for me. As I got closer, I noticed they had Bibles in their hands and were about to have their daily devotional as a platoon. They were thrilled to see me and asked if I would read the 91st Psalm and pray for them. Apparently, they had started the morning formations by reading the 91st Psalm and prayer ever since they had arrived in Saudi Arabia. As the alert to move out had been given that day, the soldiers felt the Lord had sent me at just the right time to speak peace to their hearts and encourage their faith just before they embarked on the most dangerous mission they had ever faced. As I began to read Psalm 91, I sensed a strong presence of the Lord among us. The anxious looks on the troopers' faces gave way to a calm, peaceful platoon to complete its mission with an unwavering faith that God was with them and that the promise of Psalm 91 were personally for them. Now that platoon made God their refuge. They found a peace and a foundation in the great words of Psalm 91. Words penned thousands of years ago, yet still living and active today amidst the COVID-19 scare. These words calm our shaking souls and show us where to run. And I want us to turn in our Bibles today to Psalm 91. And if you're at home and you're listening, you may stand as we read Psalm 91. Psalm 91 states, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. 
of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. So, Lord, we pray to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 91. We thank you that you are an ever-present help to us in times of danger, in times of fear. Lord, we pray that you'll speak to us through your word this morning, that you'll give us great peace through these words penned by the psalmist thousands of years ago as he was moved by your spirit. Lord, may we take great courage and great hope that you are with us and you can bear us up and send your angels to watch over us. We pray that you'll guide, our, guide this time this morning, allow the technology to keep working such that we may encourage, be encouraged together. Even though we're not gathered together, we are in our individual homes and in our hearts and minds, we can come before your great throne together. We pray that you'll be here with us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this psalm is meant to paint a picture of absolute security for the redeemed of the Lord. It opens with the foundation of our security, the Lord's character. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of Elyon, the most high God, will abide in the shadow of Shaddai, the Almighty. Our God, Elyon, is above all. That's what that Hebrew word means, above all. Thus, when we choose to dwell or sit down or make residence in his shelter, the God who is over all, his shelter, then we will abide. That word means to make it through the night. We will abide, we will make it through the night in the shadow of El Shaddai, the Almighty, the All-Sufficient, and the All-Powerful God. And notice in verse 2 that we need to speak to the Lord. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In times such as these, it is good to speak to him. Let him know our dependence upon him. Acknowledging him as our ultimate refuge, shelter, fortress, and stronghold. And verse 3 tells us that the Lord can protect us from the snare of the trapper and the deadly pestilence. My friends, we have a deadly pestilence outside our doors today. But praise to the Lord that we can seek refuge under his wing and find faithful, his faithfulness as a large shield 
and a bulwark. You see, God is forever faithful. His faithfulness is the large shield and the bulwark. Unlike man's systems that shake and change and tumble, God never does. He is the rock of ages. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul, wait in silence for God only. My hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. He is the rock, immutable, unshakable, unwavering, steadfast through the ages. In Psalm 91, verses 5 through 8, the Lord directly counters the objects of our fears. And he tells us that those who dwell with him and put their trust in him, that seek his refuge, will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrows that fly by day of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. There are terrors and there are arrows and there's a very real pestilence that stalks our streets. And right now man tries to see the stalking by going out and doing tests and finding out where it's going. But with all the mathematical modeling and study and testing, the reality is this particular small microscopic organism has eluded our sight and thus grips our nation with fear. However, for us that are huddled under his wing, we do not have to fear. For you, in verse 9, have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague Come near your tent, for he will give your, his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. These, my friends, are powerful statements that paint a picture of absolute protection provided by the Lord and his angelic hosts. My kids can attest that I like to recite this section of scripture. I've always loved the image of the Lord sending his angels to bear us up in their hands. Unseen beings with absolute incredible and tremendous power, like Michael the archangel or Gabriel, only a few that we know by name, but there are myriads of myriads of them, sent by the Most High, Elyon, and the El Shaddai, the Almighty, to protect us, those that are redeemed of the Lord. We've heard now from the psalmist, we've heard a quote from the redeemed individual declaring that he trusts in the Lord. I want to state that I trust in the Lord in verse 3. Now it's time at the end of the psalm to hear from the ultimate authority, to hear from the, from the God himself. It's a cool psalm because it actually has three speakers. You have the psalmist who wrote the psalm. You have the, the redeemed of the Lord the individual speaking back to the Lord and the beginning in verse three, and then you have God himself speaking at the end. And my friends, we need to take refuge and hear what he has to say. For times like this, March 2020, the year when a virus shocked and shook the United States of America, Yahweh tells us, the redeemed, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. 
I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. This, as you can see, is a very intimate and personal promise. The Lord states that he will respond to the one that has loved him, the one who has known his name, and that that person will call upon him in the days of trouble, and that God himself will answer him to be with him in the time of trouble, to rescue him and honor him. And in the end, he will let that person witness something absolutely incredible, his ability to save. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God to show us his salvation. Can you behold his salvation when everything is hunky-dory? when everything's just fine, when nothing is sort of shaking your world up at all? Well, I'm tell here to tell you, you can't behold this salvation as well as when you face arrows flying in the day, terrors at night, and pestilence outside your doors. Then all of a sudden, you can grab onto him and he will show you his salvation. So, is this psalm telling us that the redeemed will never encounter any hardship or, or troubles? Obviously, no. But it does tell us that God will be with us and that he is over all and that he is sufficient and powerful to protect and thus we have nothing to fear. And because he is sovereign over all, we can rest in the fact that his will for us, be it life or death, is absolutely perfect and intended to bring us closer to him with a clearer view of him, a clearer view of him as our savior and us as the one in need of salvation. Is this psalm telling us that we can throw caution to the wind because we're the untouchables? Is it telling us we don't need to be closing church today because that's a sign that we were lacking faith? Is it telling us that we don't need to be proactive and, and take precautions for dangers such as the coronavirus? Not at all. And the reason I know it's not saying that is there was another individual that misused this exact psalm. And he was clearly corrected by the master. In Matthew 4, 6, Satan said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you. Psalm 91. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. My brothers and sisters, let us take wise precautions. Let us be prepared. And let us know where to run and hide in the arms of Almighty God. Now, I want to leave you with three additional facts for you to remember this day. Because as I was thinking and preparing and thinking through, even 
prior to this morning and earlier this week as I saw this unfold and we were talking around the dinner table and the kids are asking questions. And where do you turn? And of course, we read Psalm 91 and multiple other passages that you can turn to that paint the same sort of picture of God. But there's, there's other things that I want to leave you with to consider. Number one, God has proven to be above sickness, plague, and death. This is nothing new for him. God himself sent plagues against the Egyptians, yet he protected his people. He judged his own people by sending a wasting disease after their grumblings in the wilderness. He judged their sin at Baal Peor by a plague that killed 24,000. He sent a plague after David incorrectly numbered the people or had a census that was ill-advised. He's used disease and plagues for his purposes in the past. So let it not shock you if he uses them again for his purposes now here in 2020. But also remember that he's given sight to the blind. He's healed the sick. He has raised the dead. And never forget the empty tomb of our raised Lord and Savior. So we can clearly see from the pages of God's word that he has been proven to be above sickness, plague, and death. Number two, God has a proven track record of saving. He is in the business of saving. Think of Noah in the ark. Think of Abraham, the Lord saved him from having to sacrifice Isaac. Think of Joseph thrown into the pit and put into down in Egypt after he had lived there for a while, falsely accused. Think of baby Moses and the reeds on the shores of the Nile as other babies are being thrown in and sacrificed to the gods of the Egyptians. But not Moses. He was saved by the Lord. Think of Israel and Egypt as they're approaching the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh are coming in behind them. Think of his provisions of water, his provisions of manna, and victory over their enemies as they wandered and moved towards the promised land. Think of the Lord's saving ability with Joshua in the battle of Jericho. What about Gideon and his 300 mighty men versus 135,000 Midianites? Think about Samson by himself in that Philistine temple with several thousand Philistines the Lord came through for Samson. What about Samuel's Ebenezer stone? The Lord came through. What about David when he faced Goliath and all the people of the, of the army of Israel shook with fear, but not David? What about Asa versus the million-man Ethiopian army? That would be a time for fear. The Lord saved him. What about Hezekiah surrounded by Sennacherib, the walls of Jerusalem getting attacked by Sennacherib, God saved him. What about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? And what about us here today calling upon the Lord Jesus as our Savior? Clearly, the Lord is our Savior, and he's in the business of saving. And the third point I want you to remember today is to remember the great I am. In John chapter 6, we have a fairly long chapter, but two incredible signs are presented in the first part of the chapter. 
First, we have the feeding of the 5,000, which was assigned to the masses. And then second, we had a, a very intimate sign to his disciples as Jesus walked on the water. This is a personal sign just to his close disciples. In the first sign, they wanted and needed bread. In the second sign, his close disciples were definitely afraid and they needed peace and calm. And John records that Jesus said, here they were when they therefore had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. His literal words here are ego I me, which translated means I am. Don't be afraid. For his close disciples, it was God's voice, the voice of the great I am that calmed their souls. Well, the next day, the masses gathered and found Jesus on the other shore. They were urgently seeking more and more bread. They sought bread while his disciples witnessed a miracle beyond all human explanation and all human understanding that our God could walk on water. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, let us not panic over bread, paper towels, or toilet paper. Let's be calm and hear El Yon, the Most High God, and El, Shai, El Shaddai, the All-Powerful God, say to us, I am. Don't be afraid. I got this. Christ Community Church, these are unprecedented times. I know the death rate is high for those that are older. I know the exponential curve rises quickly, and the estimated death tolls are scary. I know the ratio of beds per capita in the United States is lower than some other countries. I know our nation is relatively inexperienced with such novel contagious diseases. I've walked the streets of China and seen many, many a mask. I know we face possible shortages of masks and supplies. I know that my parents and my in-laws are over 70 years of age. And I've read the stats. And some of you out there listening, you may be in a dangerous age bracket. But I want you to look out on the horizon. And I want you to see a figure walking on the water. He is your God. And when he says to you, I am, do not be afraid, then take courage and do not fear. And like Peter, walk out to him, hide under his great wing, seek refuge in his arms where you'll find rest for your souls and you will get to behold the salvation of the Lord, your God. Isaiah 43 tells us, Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, 
For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. My friends, Do we need to fear the coronavirus? No. Do we need to fear death or disease? No. Do we need to fear running out of provisions or bread? No. We need to look to the bread of heaven, the one that the Lord sent, the one that the Lord gave us as our peace, as our security the Prince of Peace. Lord, we come before you today. It's definitely a different type of Sunday. I'm saddened in a way to see empty pews. But Lord, we know you are a great and awesome God. We know that you are a rock. You are steadfast and you are sure. And Lord, you've given us such great passages that are the anchors for our soul. As Hebrews 6 says, that we can have that anchor such that we will not be shaken. We will not be rocked. We will not be moved to shaken fear. But let us look out on the horizon and let us see you, Lord, in your great power. May we look upon you on your throne May we see you with all, in all your glory and know that you've, you're over all this. That we can rest in your arms today. That we can fall back into the great and mighty arms and hands of the living God. And you will be there to catch us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Those that perhaps are uh, in, a, in a more susceptible age bracket. Lord, I pray that you will be a shield about them that you will protect them, Lord, from this disease, that this plague will not harm or come near their tents. And I pray for the tent of Christ Community Church, that this flock, that you will save us, that we individually and personally will be able to behold your salvation, Lord. Lord, I think of Solomon when he was on his knees and a million Israelites were watching and he lifted his hands to the heaven as he was dedicating the temple after a 20-year period to build it. And he cried out to you, Lord, and he said, if there's any sickness or wasting disease that comes upon our land, if we humble ourselves and we turn back to you and we cry out to you and we lift our hands up to you, that you'll hear us, Lord. And that you'll relent concerning the calamity and that you will protect us and turn away your wrath. We pray, Father, that you will be merciful and gracious to us and to our nation. I know that there our nation has a lot of problems, but you're bigger than all of them. And you can hear those of your redeemed that are in the midst of this country crying out during this hour. And may this 
wave of, of this virus pass over so that we, we may return to our normal lives. But may we never forget the year and the day that we had to cancel Sunday, our services, and had to, we had to cancel all kinds of things and put our eyes towards you as the author and redeemer of the hope set before us, our, our Savior. Lord, we ask these things now in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This concludes the first ever CCC live stream event, March 